girl came up to me at a retreat once, and she said, um, <laughs> I know you're a speaker and everything, and you probably don't struggle like some of us do. <laughs> oh, my gosh, really? Um, I'm just a real woman with a real life, but I have a real Savior. And this has been a crazy 11 months for me personally. I'm not standing up here telling you, you can have everything you need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, because that's what it says. So there, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I'm a woman who's had a really hard 11 months, and I'm here to tell you Jesus Christ, the knowledge of him is enough. He's been enough for me all my life, but I broke my wrist in December. December 4th, my life changed, and I have two plates and 11 screws, and it was excruciating. And I was three hours away from home. I was at a funeral by myself, and it was hard to figure out how, okay, what, okay, just had to stay, you know, really, I didn't cry, I didn't scream, and I wanted to go, you know, but I didn't, <laughs> and, um, but it, it was just a traumatic event, and it was really excruciating. The next two months were, were hard. It wasn't easy. I thought, well, I'll have surgery. I'll get in a cast, and everything will be, you know, hard, but challenging, but it'd be fine. And it wasn't fine. And then I got kind of fine, and then I started having panic attacks. And I actually went to the doctor, and I said, I don't know what's going on, and, and told him what had happened. And he said, you know, I think you've got some PTSD from this fall, and I think it's, it's kind of doing a whiplash thing and coming at you. And um, I'm telling you, your thoughts, if you I mean, I just have pity. If you struggle with that, oh, girl, my heart just breaks for you. I thought I was just going to die. I mean, your mind and your feelings are telling you one thing, run. Uh, one thought was cut all my hair off. I don't know what that is all about, but <laughs> cut, just cut your hair off this short and let it go gray and, um, you know. Just crazy things, and cra literally crazy, but I would recognize, okay, this is not normal, and I would cling to God's word because I knew that's how I would have everything I needed for life and godliness, and I would literally sit in my chair by myself all day and repeat God's word, and it was enough for me, and then my husband had lots of health things in March and April, and then he had surgery in May, and then there's that, and then we, we have a home in Colorado that we go to, just a little home in the mountains that we spend the summers in, and um, people came literally back-to-back. -back. Company would leave on Thursday, and I'd clean really quick, and they'd, more would arrive on Friday, or sometimes they'd overlap, and I'm old, so I would clean for 15 minutes and sit down for 15 minutes and clean for 15 minutes. <laughs> that's really not a joke. I don't know why I couldn't breathe this summer. It was really kind of weird, but um, there was that, and then my granddaughter... Uh, decided to get married. I'll share that with you in a minute. And um, so we did, I did a wedding in 10 weeks. And that's, that's a lot. So I had company, I had a wedding to plan and um, flew back to Dallas for a week to do things for the wedding. And then in the meantime, I'm writing the retreat and um, just all of that stuff. Does that, it, but Jesus is enough. I really did have everything I needed just moment by moment. And I'm the kind of person I'm real introverted, and when I'm working on a retreat, I love to just have, like, weeks, literally. It takes me months to write a retreat, but I like to have uninterrupted time, and this time it was really different. The Lord would give me an hour here and 30 minutes there, and I don't like it that way. It, it chops it up for me, and I can't carry a thought forward, but God did this, and it, he's enough, so I'm, I'm here just telling you. I'm truly just a real woman, and I'm just telling you what he's been teaching me, and that's really all this is. I've been in his word. I've camped out in 
2 Peter chapter 1, and he has truly given me everything I've needed this year, and he will do the same for you. Um, so in this last session in 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to concentrate on verses 5 through 11. And verse 5 says, Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. Are you all there? I'm going to read that again. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 says, Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And diligent means diligent, earnest effort. Diligent, earnest effort. Webster's defines diligent as steady, earnest, painstaking. An intense and serious state of mind, grave and important. Those are really serious words. How diligent are you in your faith? Do you consider being diligent in your faith important? Do you consider being diligent in your faith a matter of grave importance? And by that, I mean in this word. Do you consider being diligent in your faith serious and important? Because God does. We must learn to be diligent. Ask God, I want to be diligent in my faith. This is really serious. He's given you so much, and one day he's going to say, okay, what did you do with all this amazing stuff I gave you? And what if you said, I don't know, nothing? I don't know. What was I supposed to be doing? He's telling you in his word. Some of us are not growing. Some of us are stunted spiritually. And if you're feeling that way, like, gosh, I'm not, I need to step up, then do that and go to the Lord and say, I want to, want to, want to be diligent, but I, I really don't because I'm lazy. I mean, just say it to God. If that's the case, that's what I do. I'm just lazy as I'll get out and I really don't want to be diligent, but I want to, want to. The verse also says we're to supply other qualities. And the word supply means continual action, continual growing, continual adding to your faith. Do you get, boy, that's a really active picture right there. Continual action, continual growing, continual adding to your faith. And if you're being earnest and diligent and serious about your faith, you're also going to be adding moral excellence to your faith, which means virtue perfection, goodness of action. Are you morally excellent? According to God's word, not the world's standard. I'm telling you, our morals are gone. We applaud sin of every kind. Good for you. Good. Be true to yourself. Awesome. Awesome. I don't agree with it. Wouldn't do it, but good for you that you do. No. Do, am I supposed to be in somebody's face about that? If that's not biblical, no. On the other hand, maybe if I'm close to them and love them, I could gently say, I just, can I just talk to you about your life? God wants us to be morally excellent. He also wants us to also supply knowledge. In this word, remember, the first word knowledge was epigenosis, and that means a participatory knowledge where I know you and you know me. This is just gnosis. It means the gaining of knowledge. So we are supposed to gain knowledge, and that would literally mean I'm going to spend time in the Word. And then when you spend time in the Word and you begin to know God, then it becomes more of an epigenosis where it's I know Him and I realize He knows me. Does that make sense? 
But you do need gnosis. You need to literally get into the word and the act of knowing it and memorizing those verses and holding on to those verses so you can actually really know God, not just about him. And what are you in if you're not in his word? Did y'all forget? And verse 6 says, add to your knowledge self-control. That means temperate, which means moderation. Self-control is also one of the fruits of the Spirit. Self-control is, is rare these days. To add self-control, uh, once we've added self-control, we also need to add perseverance. I just love this word. <clears throat> it means bearing up under. It means patience. It means enduring through any circumstance. Are you familiar with James? Chapter 1 is at verse 3, I think. Um, Count it all joy when you encounter trials and let endure through these trials because that endurance is going to make you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Don't you want that? I'd like to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Some of us pay doctors to make us look perfect and complete, (laughs) lacking in nothing. Um, But we can get that through the word. I'm going to endure through this trial I'm going to hang on to the word, and this word will actually make me perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Even though my body is fading away and becoming less and less and more wrinkled or whatever, but inside, I'm being made new every single day. That's really a true verse for me now. I really feel that, and it's, it's just true. But this quality of perseverance refers to that quality of character which does not allow one to surrender to circumstances are to succumb under trial. We talked about the seed and the sower. Remember, if you sow the seed, then you're going to be fruitful, right? And so in Luke 8, 15, the one that holds fast to that word, it says, hold fast with perseverance. So the picture is God's word tells me this, let's say to be pure, but you're single and you don't want to be pure. And you say, you know what, I'm going to persevere. This is a trial. This is hard. By the way, trial and temptation are the exact same word in the Greek. And so you bear up under that temptation and you use the strength of God through the power of his Holy Spirit and his word. And you, you stay pure. Does, are you getting this? And then you bear fruit with perseverance. Does that make sense? Perseverance is huge. So no matter what you're feeling, how you're feeling in your heart, or what you're lusting for, you cling to God's word, you keep going through this severe thing, this pain, this trial, this death, this loss, this sickness, and then you bear fruit. And that's hard, and it's painful, and it's lonely, and you don't think you'll ever make it through, but you do. Let God have his way with you. And whatever you're going through now, persevere through it so that you can be fruitful. Seven years ago, When I spoke to you guys, it was right around this time of year. I literally was going through one of the worst trials of my life. I have two granddaughters. Now they are 27 and 29 years old. And so seven years ago, one was 20 and one was 22. Did I? I can't add. Is that right? Did I do that? (laughs) I think that's right. 21 and 22. The 20-year-old was pregnant, but she was not married. The 22-year-old was also pregnant, but but she was in a really bad marriage. And this was her second baby. She already had a little girl that she had when she was 18 or 19, I think. And it, it was just hideous. The one that was married, her husband had, count them, five DWIs. 
And he worked at the car wash. Every grandmother loves to know that. <laughs> oh, my. Yes. And there's adultery. Yeah. Yeah. And she's pregnant. I mean, could it get possibly get any worse? And he was in jail. I mean, do, do you get where I'm, where I'm going? And the little girl that was pregnant and not married, some of those situations can work out. This one was not going to work out. I literally feared for this child's life. I, I was so grieving. I, I can't even tell you. And I'll be honest with you, some days I was just mad. I really was mad. I got pregnant and wasn't married. My daughter got pregnant and she wasn't married. And now my granddaughter got pregnant and she wasn't married. And now the, this other one is do you, I just didn't want to even go through that. And when I spoke to y'all that um, the single granddaughter had given birth to a little boy named Max. Does anybody remember that? Max, you remember that? And I, I don't know if you remember that, but it was not settled that he would go with these parents that did want him because the birth father was trying to stop it. And he was only trying to control and be mean. He didn't want that baby. And it was, I left here really, um, I poured out my heart to you guys, and I, I had hung on to the truth. Um, but I, I had no idea what would happen to Max or even my granddaughters. I really didn't. It, it really was a mess. And I got home on a Sunday and um, got back to my house actually on Monday. And Max was in the arms of his adopted parents. And he is so precious. And it's an open adoption, so I get to see him. And I have nothing but gratitude to God for that little boy that's with his, with his adopted parents. It's awesome. But during that time, I wonder if y'all can relate. Are, have you ever been in one of those pressure cooker moments where all you do is just talk to yourself? Oh, my God, I can't take this. Oh, my God, if one more thing happens, I think I'll just shoot myself. Oh, my gosh. Or you call your friend. I can't take this anymore. I truly cannot take it anymore. What, how much more do I have to take? Or then you get mad. I am so sick and tired of getting those phone calls from those girls, and they don't get it, and they're not going to get it, and all they do is make more, you know? Do you know those moments in time? So I realized during that period of time that I had to do, I had to persevere. And so here's how I did it. I would wake up every morning and I allotted about 15 to 20 minutes to literally pour out my heart to God. And sometimes there were some very not nice words there. I literally told God exactly how I felt. I hate this. I don't like this. I didn't want to do this. I don't want to live to see this. I'm not going to kill myself. But I am begging you to take me home today. I don't want to see any more of this. Because this is not going to turn out well. Do you, are you, do you hear that? Have you been there and done that? It, it, there's nothing more excruciating. I would limit my whining and crying. And then I would make myself tell myself the truth about God. And let me ask you a question. If I was not in this word, do you think I could make myself tell myself the truth? I could not do it. And all the believe in yourself, girl, garbage is not going to help me in those situations. And you already know that's true. And I held on to that word and tears would be streaming down my face. And then I would do this. So I just told you how I feel, and now I'm going to tell you what I believe. You are good, but I believe you are good. I feel like, hmm, but you are good. But you can be trusted. I don't see it. I don't smell it. I don't taste it. I don't think I'll ever have another good day in my life, but the Bible tells me you are good. 
but the Bible tells me you can be trusted. But the Bible tells me you have a plan for me, and you have a plan for Sarah, and you have a plan for Ashley, and you have a plan for this stupid guy in jail. You have these plans, and I'm told they're perfect. And I'm deciding to spend the rest of this day believing the truth, even though I do not feel that it is true. I am going to say to myself it's true. I'm going to live like it's true. Does that make sense? I was fighting for the truth. And the truth bore fruit in me. And when you got me at that retreat, you got a woman who had been in the fire and was still in it, but was clinging to the truth. And the truth gave me everything I needed for life and for godliness. And if you're a grandmother or if you're a mother, I just want to tell you, um, you should keep, don't ever stop praying for your children or your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren. And notice I said something about your but, you know, but, but God is good, but he can be trusted, but his ways are perfect. I want to tell you something. We all need big, huge, fat butts. Huge. In fact, you need to compliment each other. Megan, your butt is enormous. It is huge. It is perfect. And I love your butt. We need. See, why are y'all laughing? Do y'all think that I'm talking about these big old, the big old? <laughs> Do y'all think I'm talking about the butt that goes in these? Because I'm not. I'm not talking about this butt. I'm talking this one. I'm talking about the one that comes out of your mouth. See, you can feel really awful. It just stinks. And there is no getting out of it, but you can get through it. And one way to do that is to do with the butt. Think about that. If I said to you, listen, I really like you, but <laughs> you know truth is coming, right? Uh-oh, now we're going to hear the truth. Now we're going to get some truth. Your mind automatically knows when it hears the word, but you're fixing to say something true. Can you just, you got that? So it works when you start saying, but God can be trusted, but God is faithful, but God's plans are perfect. Doesn't feel perfect, doesn't look perfect, doesn't taste perfect. But it says it's perfect, and so I believe it is. I believe one day I'll see it. Does that make sense? Use your great big butt for something other than your panties. <laughs> Oh, golly. <clears throat> so little, little Max is with this amazing Christian family. He's just as white as he can be with white blonde hair, you know that, and the blue eyes, you know that, that kind of little white guy. And he's got a black sister, and he's got a Hispanic sister. And I'm telling you, they are the most precious family on the planet Earth. I am a blessed, I am a blessed woman. The other granddaughter loved partying. Her, her mother left. Their mother left when they were 11 and 9. <clears throat> and they turned to partying and drugs and sex and men. You know, you know when you see, do you have people that you're watching go down that road? And it's so excruciating. And I, started, I kept praying for them. And Sarah, this granddaughter Sarah, who is now 29, turned her life to Jesus Christ seven years ago, right before I spoke to y'all. And her life has changed. Miss Faith, I was going to tell you, Miss Faith, are you there? Uh-oh. Is her name Faith? Yes. Okay. 
I thought, can you play that little? I was going to tell you Sarah's story. I've got an 11-minute video. I'm going to let Sarah tell her story to you. How's that? You will need Kleenex. My life growing up was very broken. I moved around a lot, um, went through several different homes, didn't meet my biological father until I was 13. Um, I learned how to cope with my problems with alcohol, relationships with different men, uh, boys actually. I tried to control things. I was anorexic. I and went through cutting, um, and my life was very unstable. I grew up in a small town. Me and my friends had a lot of freedom. What we'd do for fun, you know, uh, turn from skating and, and playing sports, basketball, football, stuff like that, uh, to drinking, smoking weed, doing drugs, and and uh, and then it just avalanche snowballed from there. Always getting in trouble at school always seeking attention from other people. Where I grew up, it was kind of like, if you didn't know how to fight, if you didn't know how to um, be tough, if you didn't know, uh, if you've never been to jail, you weren't really a man. Uh, formed a criminal record at an early age. And by the age of 15, I was living with friends, um, boyfriend, and um, I think by 16, I was expelled from school. Just, I didn't care whether I lived or died, I didn't think anyone else cared. And so, um, so I just lived recklessly. I was 17 years old and I met Todd. And I thought that um, he could be my savior. When I met Sarah, we were, um, she was 17. I think I might've been 18. Um, I was partying, drinking, going out, uh, hanging with the wrong crowds. When we met, I I think that's the worst my drinking had ever been. I think we both were looking for each other to fill the void inside of us that, I mean, knowing now only Jesus can fill, but um, that caused a lot of problems for us. Our relationship was solely based on physical. We had no emotional or spiritual relationship at all. Um, it was basically physical and um, drinking, partying. And I, we got pregnant with Callie. And, um, and so that was the first time I had been sober for that long since I was 13 years old. I was sober for nine months. Um, but we got married when I was seven months pregnant. We, we thought it was the right thing to do. I thought it was the right thing to do, but, but we weren't ready. I felt a lot of pressure um, to marry Sarah since she was pregnant since, and I loved her, don't get me wrong, but um, I felt like it was on bad terms. Uh, just being young and um, things going so fast, uh, not being ready are really capable of taking care of a family, supporting a family, um, and uh, I was scared. So our marriage, um, again, was just like before we were married. Nothing had really changed except now there was 
a beautiful baby girl who was caught in the midst of our chaos and fighting and destruction. He got three DWIs while we were married. Um, he had one before we met and then he got three while we were married. And when he got the, it was technically the fourth one, I decided to separate from him. So he was in jail and I left with Callie. Callie was, I think she was two. Um, and I moved to Arlington with my sister. And I would say that was my rock bottom. It was the darkest time of my life. And so then Todd got out of jail and he was sober um, because he had been in jail for a couple months. And so I just realized what I was doing and everything that I swore that I wouldn't be, I was turning into. I just had realized that I had tried everything in my life to fill this void inside of me. And I had never given my life over to Jesus and I had never really given him a chance. I was just ready to change. Um, I really was. And got on my knees in the bathroom one day, just raised my hands and I prayed. I just asked him if he, if he would forgive me and show me that he loved me and um, would live every day the rest of my life for him. And um, in that moment, I just felt this rush of warmth and peace, the peace I'd been searching for all of my life. And I knew at that moment that he heard me and that he loved me and that he did forgive me and that, that I had made the decision that I um, was going to live the rest of my life for Jesus. I was, you know, spending time in the Word and um, he renewed my mind and was changing me. And um, I just knew that I was a new person. And so... The closer I I became with the Lord, the further the wedge was driven in mine and Todd's relationship. And at one point, he even sent me a song, uh, She Left Me for Jesus. And um, it was sad, but I continued to pray for him. And um, I was seeing a counselor, and he told me that I had to let go of control. And um, so I did, and Todd called me and told me that he wanted to get divorced and that I needed to move out with the kids. And uh, I made some pretty bad mistakes and, and uh, unforgivable mistakes to Sarah at the time. And uh, I felt like that was what catapulted um, us into making the decision for divorce. We separated in May 2013 and the divorce was finalized in April 2014. And we tried to reconcile countless times. I, I had made the decision before we got divorced that I was going to stay pure and not have sex outside of marriage. So I had told him that um, I would need to wait till we were married if we were going to have sex and he could not believe it. <laughs> he, <laughs> <laughs> so it hurt. I saw how depressed he was and he would say he wanted his family back but then he wouldn't keep the kids and or wouldn't show up to pick them up and or we would fight and um, know that he had to change not for me but for the Lord um, if it was going to be a lasting and permanent change and he had to find that for himself and that I couldn't I couldn't be the reason that he changed and so I had to love him enough to let him go when we separated actually um, uh, 
um, after trying to break down Sarah's walls continuously and her not giving in, um, I couldn't really um, function the way that I wanted to function. Depression had hit me pretty hard and uh, I felt like everything uh, was falling apart around me. Um, my family was gone. Uh, Sarah didn't love me anymore. Um, every time my kids would come over and see me um, during the weekend, I'd be happy to see them, but it'd be a constant reminder of um, my family's broke and I was the reason for that. And so um, I was really desperate. Um, I wanted my family back. Um, I think that was the, probably the hardest time in my life that I've had to deal with or go through um, emotionally. And um, <laughs> the drug use and the alcohol abuse had caught up with me and uh, I failed one of my urinalysis tests I said uh, probation, yeah, which was kind of the last straw. No, honestly, that was kind of um, a relief. I didn't want to live the way that I was living. Um, I just didn't know how to get out of the way I was living. I tried so many times before. And, uh, I really wanted to be the daddy that Callie needed and Colby needed. And uh, had really at that point given up hope on me and Sarah ever being back together. I wanted God to do something in my life because I knew that he was the only one who was going to be able to do it. Because I've seen how God transformed Sarah and her heart and her life. And uh, I wanted the same thing. So I took two and a half years in prison because I knew that it was going to be the end of myself. And um, I really was going to focus on God doing something in my life and allow him to do that. Um, I, I wanted God to be able to work on me and change me. Um, and that's what he did. Todd had been in jail a few months and I had ignored every single one of his phone calls. Um, one day he called and I just felt led to answer the phone. He asked if I would just give him a chance and instantly I was just afraid and said no. And he said, will you please just pray and ask Jesus what he wants you to do? And so, just by him saying that, I could I could hear a peace in his voice and um, the change that had taken place. And so I did tell him I would pray about it. And so I really saw the changes and I saw that he had truly wanted this for his walk with the Lord and not for me. The Lord had given him what he had given me. And um, here we are two years later and um, Todd's been sober since he went to prison and um, the Lord has changed both of us and we are waiting until we're married to have sex. <laughs> and Which is two more months. <laughs> <laughs> and that's something that um, I never would have, I never would have thought that I could be a single mom for six years and stay pure and he and I staying pure for the two years we've been talking and that's all the Lord and um, it's a miracle. It, it is a miracle. <laughs> we are a miracle. I came to life when I first kissed you. The best me has his arms around.
Wasn't that better than me telling it? <clears throat> they got married three weeks ago. <laughs> it was really neat. I just want to tell you, I don't know what you're going through, but it might seem like utter destruction right now. And if you persevere and you cling to God's word and to his truth, um, things change. Things can change. It won't always be this way. Some of my stories like this one have worked out really above and beyond anything I could have ever asked for or imagined. And there's some in my life. <clears throat> You're welcome to talk to me about privately, but um, I don't have any secrets. But um, they're still not. There's no end yet, and I've been praying a really long time on some of these. So persevere. Stay in there. You really do have everything you need for life and godliness. Look at Sarah. I, I still can hardly believe that beauty. I mean, you look, she's not even normal. She's just so stunning, and she stayed pure. She didn't date. I, I mean, I know Sarah that the old Sarah would have been married in six or seven months. I mean, she'd have been dating, you know, it, that would have happened really quickly. And she just stayed pure. She barely dated. It was really interesting this week. I actually talked to this man who um, was at her church and she told me, I think this guy might kind of like me. I'm not really sure. And then I asked her a few weeks later, so is this guy, you know, interested? And she said, no, I don't know. I don't see that. And I, I really began to realize after six years of that gorgeous thing being single, I think God is saving her for something or someone. You know, does that make sense? I literally think he goes up to men like in Star Wars and goes, you will not see her. She is not gorgeous. You do not want her body. <laughs> I do. I mean, I don't know how to explain it. And so I had a conversation with that guy at that church I just told you about, about something else this, just, just yesterday, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. And he said, I, I said, so Sarah got married. He said, yes, I saw the video. And he said, um, you know, Miss Debbie, um, he said, I actually was in the beginning very interested in Sarah. And one day, God put it on my heart to pray that she and her husband reunite. He said, in fact, I'm pretty sure I prayed with her, like over her. And I asked Sarah last night. And I said, you know, this is kind of confirmation of what we thought, that God literally just, no, she's not, you will not see her. I think he just literally hemmed her in for something so amazing. But persevere, persevere. Um, if you're in that place right now that you don't know how you can go on, I'll tell you how you can go on. You have everything you need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus. You pick up your word, you cling to it, you keep persevering. Um, God is still good. He's still worthy of glory and praise. And the women who don't know how to persevere are the women, I believe, who think that it's all about bios life. They think they're here to achieve success and be happy and dream big dreams and uh, obtain all that their hearts desire or lust after or crave for, and they're wrong. And so when a uh, tragedy hits them, it's like a tsunami that just washes them away off the planet. They literally don't know how to cope because you don't have everything you need in this world. It's passing away. It's temporary. It's transient. It's worthless. You'll only have what you need in the Lord Jesus Christ and the knowledge of him.
In Colossians 2, 8, it says, don't be taken captive by deceitful philosophy. That word captive literally means abducted. And I've been saying in each session, some of us are literally being abducted by a predator, by lies from the world that the world has other answers for you. Seek your own way, dream your own dreams, dream big, believe in yourself. I could just say it over and over again, but we've got to wake up and be diligent, get into God's word, learn how to persevere by holding on to his truth, even in hard times, especially in hard times, so that we can be fruitful. We're also to supply with our perseverance godliness. Charles Spurgeon said godliness is something more like religion, more than religion. Make God's glory your object in life. Live in his sight. Dwell close to him. Seek fellowship with him. Then you will have godliness. We're also to supply brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness is love of other Christians, by the way. It means it's easier said than done. Don't you agree? We're also to supply love. This word love is agape in the Greek, and it means love and affection, goodwill. It's different from eros or phileo, which is our word love, but they're different. They're three different types of love. And eros is the romantic type of love, and phileo is the love of a friend. But agape refers to God's kind of love, and this kind of love involves God doing what he knows is best for man, and giving man what he needs rather than giving man necessarily what he wants. Does that make sense? That's what you do for your children. If you had a 13-year-old son who came up and said, Mom, I want to have a keg party next weekend. <laughs> uh, would you give him what, you want, what he wants or would you give him what you know is best? See, that's, that's agape love. That's what that is. I want to say something. Love is not always agreeing with someone. And the world is not going to teach you that today. If you love me, you'll agree with me. Love is not condoning someone's sin. It's not enabling their sin. But see, if you're not in God's word, you really won't understand that kind of love. You'll believe what the word t- world tells you. I have best fr- I'm a really blessed woman. I have best friends that will talk to me and say, hey, I love you. I think you're off base here. And I love that. And if you don't have a friend like that, pray for a friend like that. We need iron to sharpen iron. I am not above any. I I can get off base really quickly. I need friends to help me. It's a gift from God. I know you've probably heard this, so let's get it out there. People say, well, if you really love me, you wouldn't judge me. Yeah, okay. Okay. So let me just, I'm going to use Holly again. Holly's my wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. You can just sit right there. You don't even have to move. You can just, I'll just use your name. You've been an excellent sport. Thank you. So let's just say I, I go to your church. I know Holly. I love Holly. Maybe I mentor you, meet for lunch. We talk. We, we, we're really close. But then I start seeing her hanging out with another man that's not her husband. And then one day, do one. Oh, And then one day I start seeing her, I I actually pass a hotel, and I see her coming out of the hotel with this guy. You see, that that is not true. I'm not speaking 40 times next year, and Holly's not cheating on her husband. I don't even know if she's married. (laughs) But if I really love Holly, I will say, hey, can we meet for lunch or dinner? And I'll say, girlfriend, I love you, really love you, and I saw you with John. 
And I love you too much not to tell you that. You cannot do that. What can I do? You, today is the day that you have to say, I will never see you again. You, you, I don't know what you need to do, but I will walk, you, walk with you through this, out of it. But you can't do it, Holly. You just can't, sweetheart. What can I do to help you out of this sin? Does that make sense? That's not judging her. That's actually admonishing her and telling her, this is sin, darling. Let me help you with this sin. Does that make sense? Now, I'll tell you what the biblical, you hear a lot about, oh, you're just judging me. You're just judging me. Um, you're the one that's sinning. You're the one that's judging. Let me tell you what the real biblical, biblical definition of judge is. Let's go back to Holly again. Now, if I said to Holly, well, I know who John is, and I know he's rich, and I know that you've always been so selfish and so self-centered, and my guess is you probably want John's money, which is why you're willing to leave David. Yeah. Now, I'm judging her. I'm saying I know the motive of your heart. The fact that she's committing adultery, that's admonishing. But when I start going, well, I bet your motive is this. You're just greedy. That's, that is judging her, and that's not that's um, sinful on my part. Does that, there's a big difference. Does that make sense? Because I don't know the motive of why she's doing that. That is true judgment. But this stuff nowadays that you're getting, when you do call someone out or you try to talk about something that's wrong biblically, and somebody says, oh, you're just so judgmental. You're the one that's in sin. Actually, they're wrong. That's not correct. It may be politically correct, but it's not biblically correct. I want to read these qualities again. Diligence, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love, and love. I want you to listen to this next verse and just prepare yourself because it, it has killed me for months. Verse 8. <sighs> for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If these qualities are yours, are they yours? Are they increasing? <laughs> As if one wasn't bad enough, now we've got to increase them. These qualities are supposed to be increasing. They're supposed to be in abundance in you. So that means you're supposed to have more than enough diligence in moral excellence, in knowledge, in self-control, in perseverance, in godliness, in brotherly kindness, and love. Does that just kill you? When I first, I, I've been camped out just every day. I've been reading 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And I just, this verse started hitting me. I just, I cry every time I read it because it is so convicting. Are these qualities yours? And Debbie says, no, God. Well, are they increasing? Well, I already said I don't even have them, so how could they be increasing? <laughs> Does that kill you? This should, this should kill you. It makes me feel like a pitiful example of a believer. Okay, it gets worse. If you do not have these qualities, you are useless and unfruitful. I just said in the last session, our whole purpose in life, God chose you and he appointed you and called you so that you would bear much fruit. So let me just say to you, if you don't have diligence or moral excellence or knowledge or self-control or perseverance or godliness or brotherly kindness and love, then you are useless and fruitless. That 
just kills me. Useless means idle and inactive. It means you're just an inactive believer. You've got all these truths. You've got everything you need, and you're like, I don't care. It would be like Bill Gates saying, hey, Alma, I'm just going to give you my credit card, and I don't care. Just spend anything. I don't care. Buy anything you want. And you stick it in your pocket, and you forget it. Her washing machine broke. She goes, oh, my gosh, I don't want to do it. washing machine's broken. And she's wailing. And you say, I'm, don't I remember you have Bill Gates' credit card in your back pocket? Oh, I forgot about that. Duh. That's what we do as Christians. We're, oh, my God, my granddaughter is just losing her mind. And her husband's in jail and I can't make it. Don't you remember you have Jesus? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that part. See, do you see? And then we, this is where it comes to play. I want to be diligent. I want to remember that I have everything I need for life and godliness. If you have true and exact knowledge of God, if you have a relationship with him, then we really should be diligent and morally excellent. We should have self-control. We should have perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness. And it truly should even be increasing. We'll also have the fruit of the Spirit. Do you remember that? Love, say it with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That would be yours. Verse 9 says, He who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Blind means you just can't see clearly. Figuratively, it means to be blind in your mind, ignorant, stupid, slow of understanding. We can be slow because we're literally ignorant of God's word. We're ignorant of what he says. We're ignorant of what his will is. And that makes us blind. And that's where we get into big fat trouble. Short-sighted means that you blink your eyes and you just can't see properly. You're just, you're just almost shutting your eyes. Have you ever done this, something about God's word? You know, la, 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 I can't hear you. I can't see you. I don't want to know that. You know, we do that. We just don't, we don't want to know God's word. We don't want to know about that he wants us to be pure. And, that, and we don't want to have to live that out. I don't even want to know that. I mean, if there are things in the word that you pick and choose, are you a picker and a chooser? Like, well, I, yeah, I believe that Jesus will get me to heaven, but I don't believe that part about submission. That's just whatever. That's so old. Good grief. Things have changed. Are you that kind? Or the part about hell? No. Hey, Jesus is the way I get to heaven, but if somebody else may have a different way, and this hell, I don't know. Don't believe that. Sorry. Here's what I want you to do. If, that, if that's how you are, if you're a picker or a chooser, let's just do it. Get your little Bible. Get your little, get your red pen, because we all like the red letter version, right? So we're going to find that part about submission, and we're going to go, I don't, not going to submit. I don't like that. And that part about hell, no hell. Just write in no hell. That, that, I, I have my own version now. I have my own red letter version. I have my own NIV version, the new ignoramus version. <laughs> it's all true. 
You don't get to be a picker and a chooser. And if you are, that's just nuts. We don't get to do that. Romans 1.25 says, They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And I really just think this applies to our, our life, our culture right now. That's Romans 1.25. God, forgive us. It's time to believe every single word that God says. We really have everything we need for life and godliness. There's lots of things I've struggled believing. This hasn't all just, yep, I believe it. One, for example, is um, John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. One day, and I was a new teacher. I, I, I had just begun to realize God has given me the gift of teaching other women the Bible. And so I was just, walk, you know, just walking that out, just maybe a year or so. And I read that verse, and I thought, ooh, Man, that is so exclusive. I'm just, I'm not going to use that verse. I'm going to try to steer around that verse. I, that's that's going to really make people mad. I really did. I said that. And thank goodness the Lord is so strong and so powerful. And he just pressed into my heart and really, um, I, I mean, I'm a sinful people pleaser. I didn't want anybody to think badly of me or to argue with me or to, you know, do that. And so, um God just pressed in, and he, it seemed as if he said, my, you are to teach my words, not yours. Do not fret over how people are going to receive my word. You teach it clearly, and you leave the results to me. That is not your problem. And I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit can do that. In fact, James 3, 1 says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such you will incur a stricter judgment. Have you, I don't know if you've ever thought about the pastor or me or teachers. For me to tell you, and I've told you a lot today, I've not, you know, I've been really bold and clear. I haven't tiptoed around. I couldn't think of the right word. Thank you. Um, but can you imagine if, what kind of, if I was telling you God says this and God says that and God means this and God means that and that was not true? Do you have any idea how God would be angry with me? What if I stood up here and said, well, I'm going to tell you what Holly believes. I mean, I don't know her very well, but I believe that Holly thinks an open marriage is a great idea. You know, I mean, she would be like, what possessed you to say that? Why would you, how would you dare say that I said that? I didn't say that. Can you imagine the God of the universe? And we say this, have you heard that kind of garbage people say, well, I don't know. I heard one man say this to me. I don't think there's too many different interpretations. It's just too hard for us to all understand God's word. And I don't think it's really on his heart that we would literally understand it and all come away with the same idea. I think he's just happy if you read it. And I said, and what exactly do you base that on? I mean, if you, I, you sent my granddaughter a note last night, and she was actually telling me this morning about the cool note she got from you. I assume you wanted her to understand the note exactly as you wrote it, everything that you meant. Or did you want her to put in her own interpretation there? I'm just a little confused. Do you see what I'm saying? We can't just come up off the cuff with this. Well, I just don't believe God would send anybody to hell. Well, I just don't believe that a real God would... Um, would do that. I believe Jesus is for me, but I believe there's many ways. See, that's 
Where does that come from? You can't say that that's true about God. Who are you to say that? And I better be really careful as a teacher what I tell you according to God's word. And I want to say another thing. This is only a matter of opinion. You can take this or leave this because I don't really have a biblical stance for it, although I think I do a little bit. But girls, with social media, I am a teacher. I'm going to have a stricter accountability than you. And some of you are not teachers. I doubt very seriously. Maybe there's five in here. I don't know in a group this big. Maybe there's not even that many. But we post so many things on social media, and some of them involve God. And you better be, this is my opinion. Again, I'm going to clarify that. This is my opinion. You better be careful what you post, because you could be of a sort a teacher that indicates to some other poor soul reading your page or your social media that this is what's true about God. You better be sure that what you posted is correct. Because you are a teacher of a sort. And I just encourage you, if that's not true, do not post it there just because that's popular. And if you don't know the word, you're not even going to know you're off base with that. And if you see other people, be, walk up. If you, I mean, don't get in people's faces, but just say, hey, could we talk a minute? You know, I'm a little concerned about what you posted. It, it really sounded off base. There's nothing wrong with that. Let's be women of the word. Let's be women of the truth, women that really adhere to what God says. We have teachers right now that are taking difficult truths and they're twisting them to the point that they're unrecognizable. We've had teachers that, quote unquote, are falling away from the faith. They're walking away. We've had teachers that... um, have decided this is moral when, in fact, God's word says it's immoral. We, this is really a dangerous time. It's a dark, these are really dark days. And we're not even going to know that unless we're in God's word. I've decided in my own life that I'm going to adhere to this word no matter what it costs me because I want to be biblically correct rather than politically correct. And that's really hard for me because at my core being, I am a people pleaser. I really have cared most of my life what you think about me. I'm getting over that because I realize I'm going to see my Lord and I would rather be a God pleaser than a man pleaser at this point and stage of the game. But it's hard. This is hard, girls. You've got some really big choices to make. And the Bible tells us this portion says, don't forget what Jesus, how he cleansed you from your former sins. I think we're forgetterers sometimes. You know what I'm saying? We've, we've, I, I can't forget that I was an adulteress. I was immoral. I was this needy woman that I, I wanted everyone to love me and to like me. And as a result, no one did. I was one of those clingy people that everyone just kind of like, oh, get away from me. You know that woman? That, that was me. I did not have a girlfriend, not one. And Jesus changed me. And I don't want to forget that I was insecure and suicidally depressed and all alone and in the darkness of my sin. I had no family. My parents were dead. My dad died when I was 11. My mom died when I was 28. I had no friends. And Jesus Christ saved me at my kitchen table. And I don't want to forget that. It says if you forget that, you're blind or short-sighted. I want to give you um, 
how can we be diligent and morally excellent and have knowledge? How can we have all these qualities? Only through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to give you just a few. I've given you a few things about God, a few things about Jesus, just a few truths about the Holy Spirit. The first one is the Holy Spirit is to our advantage. I want to read that verse to you, John 16, 7. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. That's John 16, 7. Advantage means a superior position. Do you realize what this is saying? I always thought, wouldn't it have been great to have been born when Jesus was there? And I, I, wow, I could see him and hear him. And, you know, I think we all long for that. But think about it. If Jesus is with Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Bethany, and I'm in Jerusalem hanging out at the women's retreat that weekend, <laughs> I'm not with Jesus. You see, what I, he's limited to time and to place. So it is to our advantage that Jesus is now with us in the Spirit because I'm fixing to fly back to Colorado tonight, and Jesus, through the Spirit, is going with me. He's to my advantage. You, you're going to spend the night in San Antonio. And he's going to be with you. And you're on one side of the town, and you're on another, and you're on another, and you're on another. And he's with all of you at all times. Wow. That is a superior position. The Holy Spirit is to our advantage. The Holy Spirit always points us to Jesus. That's the next point. This is really important. I've been saying that false prophets are leading people astray. And one way that you can recognize a false prophet or a false teacher is they will not testify to you about Jesus Christ. If a teacher is from God, the Holy Spirit will always, and I am emphasizing the word always, use them to testify about Jesus because literally everything's about Jesus. So am I telling you the truth? Yes. 1 John 4, 2 and 3. 1 John 4, verses 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit, that's another superlative, Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit, not some, not most, not a few, not a little, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that is coming and now is already in the world. If you have any questions about a book you're reading, a meme you're seeing, a devotional, anything, if they're not pointing you to Jesus constantly, they are not of God. Even if they're using lots of the word God, 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 if it's not Jesus, it's not from God. This is really huge. These teachers should tell you in a very clear way about Jesus Christ, and they should not make it vague, and we need to watch for all the tickling that's going on and all the encouraging things that are simply just not from God. The next truth is the Lord himself dwells within us in the Spirit, and he gives us power. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus is in me. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
the temple, I the temple, you're the temple. The Lord Jesus is in you. Oh, my gracious. Ephesians 3.17, that Christ may make his home in your hearts through faith. He never leaves us. Ephesians 3.20, Jesus through the Spirit is able to do more than we ask or imagine according to the power that is in us. That's the only way I have confidence to do what I'm doing by speaking to you. Because I know for a fact this is not Debbie Dittrich that has all this pressure to get up here and speak. It is the Spirit and power of God that is in me to tell you the truth, his truth, not my truth. And I have full confidence that he will do his job well. And the last thing is the ministry of the Spirit is with glory. This is a long passage, so I'm not going to read it. It's 2 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 11. Here's what it says. Do you remember Moses? Do you remember the story about Moses? He'd go up to the mountain and talk with God, and when he would come down, his face would be glowing. Do you remember that? And then the Israelites would go, oh, gosh, oh, my gosh, dude, would you cover your face? It's like that light. Oh, whatever. Put that veil over your face. I, and that always boggles me. I'm like, I want to... I wouldn't ask you to put a veil. I would want to just stare at it and see if some of it would get on me, you know? I don't know. I'm like, why would they want a veil? That is so weird to me. But they did. They wanted, you know, it's like you glow too much. (laughs) But here's what that verse says. So go look it up yourself. It says the glory in us, the glory of the Holy Spirit surpasses the glory Moses had because our glory does not fade away. That seems to indicate to me that literally we are probably glowing in some, especially in the spirit world. I'm, I'm sure that we, there's a light emanating from, oh, that's a child of God. I, I'm sure. I feel like that's what that's saying. And our, the, glo- the Holy Spirit is a glory in us. And it abides. And that's that saying, the, Holy, the glory of the Holy Spirit remains, which is the word abide. It's the same word we've been talking about. It dwells, it remains, and it stays. We have Jesus with us at all times. He gives us his power, his truth. He teaches us. He leads us to do God's will all through his very own spirit within us. So, in fact, we really can apply all diligence in our faith. And we can also supply moral excellence and knowledge and perseverance and self-control and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. And that's how we can have everything we need for life and godliness because we have literally Jesus in us who gives us everything we need for life and godliness. We're not alone. We're not orphans. We have everything we need through the knowledge of God, through the knowledge of our Savior, and through the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. Verse 10 says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, you'll never stumble. That means sin. So if you're practicing diligence and knowledge and perseverance and self-control, you won't be sinning. Gosh, that's convicted me. Verse 11 says, For in this way the entrance into the eternal kingdom of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. And I said that earlier. It's like a marathon runner, and they, he crosses the finish line, and you're going, whoop, 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 go, Debbie, go, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's that picture of we finally cross over, and now we're in our eternal state, and we're in heaven, 
and there's this picture of the clapping and the cheering, and you did it. You made it. You persevered. You were diligent. You walked by faith. You were obedient. Amen. That's a day to look forward to. That is a day to look forward to. Ladies, I, wanna, I just want to give you one last practical application here. Because if this is just head knowledge, and all you walk away is with new information, but you don't really know how to live it, okay, so what do you do with it? I've given you a lot of information. I've said, you know, get in the Word, write in a journal, use your index cards, memorize it. I've given you a lot of information, but what is that? Okay, so what? So what? What do you do? How do you literally use what I've told you to do? Not just do it, but use it. And so I want to give you an example of how I do this and how I believe I am more fruitful, okay? I, now I have to be in God's Word. All of this has to do with God's Word. But I, I want you to understand something about how your mind works. You talk to yourself I heard one person say 30,000 times a day, seeing you thought you were crazy. You're not. Everybody does it. I heard another expert say 50,000 times a day the other day. So you already know there is a constant dialogue going on in your head with yourself at all times, right? And so you are, you're constantly telling yourself truth from God's word or not. So it's that hysterical thinking, like I can go into, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? What are Sarah, what's going to happen to Sarah and Ashley? Oh my gosh, this isn't going to work out right. Oh my gosh, I can't do this. Oh my gosh, I just, there's no way this is going to work. You know that, you know that talk. It's that constant dialogue. And this is how I live my life out with the Lord in my heart, and it's with my words. And I take the truth of God, and I say it to myself. And I'm not talking about, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if I'm in the moment, like, okay, for this retreat or for that wedding and all the things I've been doing the last few weeks, I am older. I've got lots of limitations. And there's things I literally physically cannot do. And, and, I, and, and mentally, I literally don't remember some things that are important. <laughs> and so... Um, I just, instead of being frantic and talking to myself, well, I don't think I can do the retreat, and I don't think I can do the wedding, and I don't know how I'm going to do this, and how I'm going to do that, and blah, blah, blah. I just said, you know what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and my God will strengthen me, and my God will help me. And, and he's not given me a spirit of fear. He's given me a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. So I am constantly telling myself the truth, constantly. I don't wait on Sunday for the pastor to tell me the truth. I read the truth, I write the truth, I memorize the truth, and I say the truth. And that changes everything. And I want to tell you one last thing that literally has been life-changing for me personally. And here's what it is. I, exactly the same thing I'm telling you. It is one thing to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, or the, I use the but um, thing a while ago, but my God is good, but he's perfect, but I can do all things in Christ, but okay, that's good too. This is a little different twist. Thank you. Thank you that you're perfect. Thank you that you're good. Thank you that you're powerful. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you've not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Thank you that you called me to do that retreat and put that on my heart. Therefore, you'll strengthen me to do the retreat. Thank you that you can bring to my mind, which is a job of the Holy Spirit, to remember what you've told me from your word. You've given me that, that from the Holy Spirit. That's a gift. Does that make sense? Let me tell you about the word thank you. 
Let's, you never use it unless you believe you're going to get something or you've already got it. For instance, if I had called Burkett last night and said, oh my gosh, I'm suddenly so ill. Can you please bring me, I don't know, Pepto-Bismol, something. And she said yes on the phone. I would, what would I say next? Thank you. Why? I would only say that because I believe firmly that she is going to get in her car and bring me Pepto-Bismol. There's no other reason I would say thank you, right? No other reason that you say thank you, except you believe the person will do it, or once she brought it to my hotel room, I would again say thank you, because now I have what I asked for, correct? Just think about that. You never, thank you is an, is an act of faith. It's a statement of faith. Do you see what I'm saying? So to, for me to say, it's okay to say this and to pray this, but I just want to point out the difference. I can say, God, please, please strengthen me for this retreat. God, I just am really feeling weak and I'm feeling very insecure. Would you please strengthen me with your spirit and would you please be with me? Please don't leave me. Please help me. Please be with me. Please speak through me. See, that's pleading and all of that is based on his truth. I can ask for that, but do you see there's a big difference here? In that speaking, which is how I've been living my life, as opposed to thank you that you're going to give me confidence and thank you that you're going to strengthen me and thank you that you're with me and thank you that your word is powerful and thank you that you can speak to those women through me, just a vessel, and thank you that you called me to do this retreat. Do you see the difference? That's me saying, hey, I believe you're going to do this. I believe what your word says. I'm telling myself I believe it. And I'm saying it, and if you say it out loud, it's hugely powerful. There's something, I'm not sure I understand the dynamics. Maybe a psychologist could explain that. But there is something when you're thinking quietly, thank you that you're with me. But, but when you say out loud, thank you that you're with me. Thank you that you're for me. Thank you that you're not against me. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me. Thank you. It, it is just powerful. Your soul, it's like your soul wakes up going, oh, I'm hearing this and I am loving this stuff. Keep going. Even David would say, I say to my soul. See, this is not something Debbie made up. This is, this is what David did. Go read the Psalms. I say to my soul, soul, <laughs> trust your God. Go read the book of Lamentations. Poor Jeremiah, they called him the weeping prophet. <laughs> And read chapter 3, I think it's verses 1 through 21, and he's going, oh my gosh, my life is just terrible, and everybody hates me, and I just wish I was dead, and I don't know why you've called me to do this, and I just hate that, and I just don't want to do this anymore. And then he says, but this I recall to mind, the Lord's loving kindness never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Do you see that? He's telling his soul the truth. And when you add those words, thank you, it literally changes. It has changed me. And, and Philippians 4, 6 says, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. There's something that happens with thanksgiving. And I'm not sure I can explain that, except I'm encouraging you to do that. In December, a year ago, my son, who's now 40, but he had open heart surgery and he was like 36 or seven. And so about a year and a half ago, he called me and he sounded, he said, mom, are you home? And I said, yes, I am. He works right across the street from me. And he said, um, could you come to the emergency room right across the street? I said, absolutely. I'll be right there. Now you have to understand that's not the way Debbie Dittrich talks. Debbie Dittrich goes, what? Oh my, did you say emergency room? Oh my God, David, what's wrong? Honey? Oh my God, 
what's wrong? Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And so then he would probably have told me, and then I would have texted about 20 people. Oh my God, I don't know what's wrong, but please pray because David's in the emergency room. You know, he had open heart surgery. Oh my God, I just, oh my God, I can't stand this. If anything happens to my, do you, does anybody relate to that? So I literally, Debbie, this Debbie district said, okay, I'll be right there. There was no white knuckle. Okay, what do I do? What do I do? I just, it, it had become so automatic. I said, Lord, thank you that you're with me now. Thank you that you're for me and not against me. Thank you that you are with David Nasser Nockley. Thank you that you love him. Thank you that you can give doctors wisdom. Thank you that you can give my son the peace that passes understanding. Thank you you've given me the peace that passes understanding. Thank you that if my son lives or my son dies today, I can trust you. Thank you that if my son does die today, you will give me lavish grace to continue living my life and glorifying you. Thank you if my son dies, you will give his wife and his sons lavish grace to live their lives because you are faithful. Thank you that you're faithful. I just, that's what I did. This litany of thank yous. Walked in the emergency room. Hey, what on earth is going on with you? I can't even describe the perfect peace. Hey, what's going on, David? What, what is happening? And he said, mom, I have chest pain. And anyway, it turned out to be pancreatitis. It wasn't his heart, but does that make sense to you? This is, it's not just, okay, I've learned it, I've read it, I spent 10 minutes in it, I wrote it down, I am memorizing, I'm getting there. This is using it. Does that make sense? It's taken out of your pocket and you're using it. And the, and the Bible calls the word a sword. This is, this is how you use your sword. And the enemy doesn't want anything to do with that. And I think that's another thing that happens. There's spiritual warfare all around us. It is here. And he speaks into, he cannot read your mind, but he speaks into your mind. And so when you speak out the word out loud, if you can, and I realize you can't always do that, but if you can do that, the enemy leaves you alone. So this oppressive stuff that, I just don't know why I'm so anxious today, and I'm just almost terrified, and I, can't, I don't really understand what's happening. Well, that could be spiritual warfare. I don't know that it is, but it could be. And when you start speaking that truth out loud, I'm telling you, the enemy doesn't want any of that. You are literally using your sword, and when you say the words, thank you, I believe that's your shield of faith. Amen. In fact, I think, how do you put on the armor? I'll tell you how, I mean, people say, well, I put it on every morning, and I'm always wanting to say, how do you actually do that? And now, this is how I do it, and I'm not saying I've got this all right, but this is what I do. Lord, thank you. And I go from head to toe, but I say, Lord, thank you that you've given me a helmet of salvation. You saved me, and I'm going to think about that, and I'm going to live that, in a way that, that believes that I am saved. I'm a child of God. I'm a different person. I'm going to heaven. I am an eternal being with Zoe life. Thank you, Lord, that I have righteousness. I'm not righteous. I don't live righteous a lot of the time. But thank you that you literally gave me your perfect righteousness. It's a gift to me. I didn't earn it. I can't lose it. You gave it to me. And that protects my heart because, see, the enemy can't come in. Ooh, you sinner. Hey, excuse me. Go talk to somebody else because, see, I'm righteous. I I've got righteousness that Christ gave me. It's perfect. You can go away now. See what I'm saying? And I got this belt of truth. Lord, thank you for this truth. Oh, I thank you for this truth. I thank you for it. It holds everything in place. The truth does. Thank you, Lord, for these um, sandals of peace. And that means I, they had the, the sandals had big old spikes. So if we're in battle, 
then my spikes are into the dirt, and so you start pushing me, and I can stand firm instead of falling down. And that's what the enemy loves. Can I push you? Do you have a hurt shoulder? I, you know, he's pushing. You're so stupid, and you're so dumb, and you're not forgiven. He's pushing you, and we just, you know, let him push us instead of standing firm saying, no, <laughs> oh, no, I, I'm righteous. I'm a child of God. I have truth. I have peace with God. That's what those sandals of peace represent. Are you kidding me? I have peace with God. You don't scare me. I'm standing right here because I have peace with God. My God's for me and not against me. Does that make sense? And then you have that sword of the spirit that you're using all day long and your shield of faith. And I believe that it, that's how you use it with the thank yous. But does that help a little bit? That's, that is so powerful. And Isaiah 55, 11 says, God's word does not return unto him void without accomplishing what he desires without succeeding in the matter for which he sends it. That means to accomplish his will. And that's what we do with these words of truth that we say to ourselves all day long. We're proclaiming the truth to ourselves all day long. All day long. Ladies, I, um, I just hope that y'all replace... I know some of you have been taught positive self-talk and affirmations. Literally, this... They've stolen, that's, that's not new age thinking. They actually stole that from the word. We're the ones that have all the positive affirmations and the world has just copied it and put other words in there. You're powerful, you're strong, believe in yourself, you got it, you're smart. It's such a counterfeit. This, this is, these are our affirmations. And we have everything we need for life and godliness through those. Right? I just thank you all for um, inviting me. Thank you for letting me speak. Um, I'm going to pray for you all. I pray that you would never forget that you have everything you need for life and for godliness. I pray that you would cling to his very great and precious promises so that you could partake of the divine nature and escape the corruption that's in the world caused by lust. I pray that you would start being diligent in your faith, supplying diligence and adding moral excellence and adding self-control and adding perseverance and adding godliness and adding brotherly kindness and adding love. I pray that you'd get into the word. I'm available. If you want my number, ask Burkett, ask me. Um, I just love you girls. Y'all are really special. Thank you for letting me tell you what God's taught me, and um, I just want to close this in prayer. Lord, you, you just blow my mind at how good you are to us. I thank you for your word. I thank you for our salvation. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you that we're your daughters. I thank you that we have new natures. I thank you that we have Zoe life. I thank you for our friends. I thank you for our fun. Thank you for those that have served us. And Lord, I just pray that we would be women of the word. I pray that we would be women who believe that we have everything we need for life and godliness, that we just pour ourselves into this word and pour it into us. And then we pour it out to others and we just become full of your word and full of light and full of truth and that we bear much fruit. Lord, I pray for each one of us that we would appear before you without shrinking back in fear, knowing that we have uh, walked in those good works that you prepared beforehand for us to walk in, and um, that we will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. 
In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Burkett. We finished a little early. Am I, am I mistaken or are we a little early? Yes, but we still have one more action point and questions. Action point and questions. Okay, because I was going to say if y'all wanted to open up to questions.